So I think we're ready finally today in part five to talk about this grace upon grace upon. I don't think there's another subject in the entire Bible that we need to hear more about every single year of our life than the grace of God. I don't care how long you've been saved. You need to hear about grace. John 1.16 says from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Grace is amazing. It's amazing. It's the only thing that can take a, a slave ship captain and, and save him and cause him to write, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like you and me. Uh, grace, the Bible says, is promiscuous. That means it is looking to be with anybody that will have it. Um, grace is what changes you. Grace is what keeps you saved. Grace is what keeps you in heaven. Have you ever thought, man, I don't want to get to heaven and then do something wrong and get kicked out of heaven like Satan was? No, no, no. If the grace of God can save you on earth, the grace of God can sustain you in heaven for all of eternity. You always need 100% grace every day of your life. I don't care if you've been saved for a thousand years and served God with your whole heart for a thousand years. You still need grace. You need it. You need it. And so what is grace and what does grace do? Grace is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness and favor of God. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You'll never deserve it. It is a free gift. It is a free gift. You can't do anything to get it. You can't raise your hand to be saved and get it. You can't walk the aisle of the church to get it. It is simply a gift that you receive. You could not raise your hand to be saved if God's grace wasn't already in your life. You couldn't hear and think about what I'm saying if God's grace wasn't already in your life. It's the grace of God that allows you to even be alive right now. Here's what it does. It gives us the desire and the ability to obey God. It gives us the desire and the ability to be with God. It gives us the desire and the ability to serve God forever and ever and ever and ever. So if you do not have the desire or feel like you do not have the ability or the want to serve God, you haven't received grace. If you don't have the desire and the ability to be with God, you haven't received grace. You have to make sure you're the, the, and, and you don't do this. You don't change your desires. God does. You receive the gift. He changes your heart. You can't change a heart. Repentance is changing your mind. You change your mind, God will change your heart. Have you ever tried to change somebody else's heart and tell them what they should be convicted of and how they should live and what they should do? Good luck with that, buddy, because you can't change your own heart. If you could change your own heart, oh my goodness, that would be great. We can't even do that. Only God can give someone the desire to obey him and serve him and the ability to do so. Only God. We recognize we can't do anything without you. I need you for everything in life. And he comes in and, whoosh, and he does all the work. And he'll change you in one area today, and he'll change you in a different area 20 years from now, and he just keeps on changing you. So I wanted to open up and close the sermon with what, what, what grace kind of looks like, a story of grace. And so I found one I want to use today. Um, it fits right in with the series, and it comes from Acts chapter 16. And the way Acts 16 starts is, is there's, a, a, there's a girl that's, um, that's a fortune teller. And she's and it's actually working. She's actually doing a good job telling fortunes. In fact, she told everybody that Paul and Silas are telling everybody what it means to be saved. And the only way she'd know that is if the devil told her. So I just want you to know about fortune telling and witchcraft and um, crystal balls and tarot cards and um, horoscopes and zodiac and all that stuff. I want you to know all that stuff is real. 
It's real and it's from the devil, and the devil's real and demons are real. It's real. So let me tell you how it works, just so you know, I can show you biblically. <clears throat> but demons, they study your past. See, once you've repented, God doesn't remember. He chooses to forget your past. The demons know your past. They know the past of your parents, your grandparents, and your great-grandparents, and they study your bloodline. And when you go to somebody like that or you do the tarot cards or you look at your horoscope, all Satan's trying to do is to get you to go in the same pattern that's destroyed your family in the past. If you're a very emotional person and you attach to people really, really quickly, Satan will say through the tarot card or whatever you do, oh, you're going to find love next week. Sure enough, you run into some guy, oh, this must be it. Five years later, he abuses your children, he divorces you, destroys your life. Oh, I thought this was it. No, you were listening to the wrong voice. If you want to know your future, you go to the Word of God. Don't go to anybody else, okay? So there was a demon-possessed girl that was a fortune teller, and Paul and Silas saw her, and so they cast the demon out, which proves it is demonic, cast the demon out, and the owner of the fortune-telling girl got mad because they were making money off of her. She could hear from Satan. They were making some money. So they cast the demon out. They get mad. So they get the authorities to throw Paul and Silas in jail for healing someone, for helping someone be healed. Okay, so that's where we take the story. Acts 16, 25. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing to God. Have you ever seen a Christian that's going through a horrible time in life and they're at church worshiping and praying? Okay, that's somebody that's saved because people who are unsaved, they don't have the desire to do that when things aren't going well. So they love to put things on Facebook when things aren't going well. That's what unsaved people, I'm just kidding. Okay, so suddenly there was an earthquake. Immediately the doors were opened, the chains were unfastened. Verse 29, the jailer rushed in, trembling with fear, fell down before Paul and Silas and said this famous line, what must I do to be saved. Isn't that what we're trying to find out? What do I need to do to tell me? I'll do it. I want to be saved. I want to be saved. So tell me what to do. And Paul said this famous line in return, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your whole family. God wants your family to be in heaven with you, by the way. Okay. And once you come to Jesus, you better tell all your relatives that you want to be in heaven the same thing. Verse 33, he was baptized at once. And his whole family, and they rejoiced all together as a family because they believed God. Now, a few things I want you to see. The first one is this. The desire to be baptized wasn't in this man until he was a believer. Do you know, I've never met anyone who wants to be baptized. You know, are you saved? No, but I'd like to be baptized. No, you need a bath. That's a totally different thing. <laughs> People that get saved, they have this desire all of a sudden. I need to be baptized. It's a desire God puts in you. Here's another thing. He desired to worship God. That's not insane. You ever see somebody at church and they just do this the whole time? When you, the desire to worship God comes from God saving you. Now, worshiping and being baptized doesn't save you. That does not save you. But it is the fruit of someone who has been saved. Are you with me on that? Okay, I want to be a little bit comedic. I'm not you know, being mean about the scripture. I just want to kind of throw some kind of little humor in here to see what you think, okay? And then we'll go into our points. Do you think that in between, what must I do to be saved and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you think that there was a conversation in there that the Bible did not record that went something like this? What must I do to be saved? Oh, Paul, why don't you tell him all the things? No, Silas, you tell. No, Paul, you tell. Fine, fine, fine. Okay. Um, to be saved, there's a lot of do's and don'ts. You really, you're, honestly, you should read the Bible in one year. We have a little calendar to help you. You can skip Leviticus, but you need to read the rest of it and find out all the do. Okay, read the Bible in one year. What else do I need to do to be saved? Well, you need to be in church every Sunday. 
Every Sunday, you have to be in church. You need to tithe. Okay, tithe. What else? You need to pray every day. Okay, I need to pray every day. I really want my family to be saved too. Is there anything else? Well, if you go to church, they'll tell you all the rules and regulations. And, you know, they'll tell you what to wear at the beach. And, you know, you shouldn't eat hot dogs on Sunday. And they got all these rules. You'll be okay. okay. Is there anything else? I'll do whatever it takes. I really want to be saved. (sighs) There's one more thing. What? Paul, please tell me. You're so much better at this, Paul. No, Silas, you let them know. I did everything. I just wanted to get them signed up. Then we'll tell them all the other stuff. Okay, well, for you, because you're not Jewish, for you, uh, there's a minor surgery, just a little bit of a surgery. It's best if you just look to the left and cough, and by then it'll be over. Just, 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 it'll be over. Listen, we've done it a thousand times. You'll be okay. You won't feel a thing for about three or four weeks. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. You know what? I don't want to get saved. Forget that, right? Okay. Do you think that conversation went on, yes or no? Do you think that Paul deceived this man and thought, I'm just going to tell him a little bit about what to do to get saved and all the other stuff he'll learn later? Is that how it went? Or is this all you need to do to be saved? Believe the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's it. Now, either that's it or the Bible's a liar. It's one or the other. So this is it. So how can this be the only thing you need to do to be saved? I have three points for you today. Number one is this. Starting grace. Starting grace. Your relationship with God starts with grace. It's the grace of God that allows you to simply believe and do nothing else but believe. No works. You don't got to raise your hand. You don't got to dance. You don't got to say some specific prayer the exact right way. You just simply believe. All the thief on the cross did, all the thief on the cross did was say, remember me. You're saved. You're going to be in heaven. Do you know before he even said the words, remember me, he was saved? There was, God knew his heart. Ephesians 2, 8, for by free grace, you're saved through faith. It was nothing you did. Nothing, nothing, nothing. But a gift from God, not of works. Works is a Bible term that means um, do something. Do something good. And it's good to do good things, but that's not what saves you. Lest anyone should boast. Unless I could, you know what? The reason I'm saved is because I'm a good preacher. The reason I'm saved is because I give a lot of money. The reason I'm, no, 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 that's, 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 that means it's not grace. You have something to boast about. It's not grace. Now, how many of you in this room have ever received a free gift that you had to pay for? Okay, now I know Father's Day is coming up, (laughs) and I feel like I've paid for every Father's Day present I've ever had, but anyway, but other than those times, you don't pay for a free gift, do you? Imagine me giving you a present and saying, um, you know, I know you're going through a hard time, so not tonight, not anytime soon, but I put the receipt in the bag, and when you start doing better, just pay me back. No big deal. I don't need it right now. By the end of the year, it's fine. That would not be a free gift, would it? If you have to pay even one cent for it, it was no longer free. If you have to do, if you have to say thank you in order to receive it, it wasn't free. Are you with me? Romans eleven six. If it's by grace, then it is no longer works. Otherwise, grace would not be grace. Works is you do something. Grace is you receive something. It was paid for by Jesus and offered to you as a free gift. Somebody did pay for it, but you don't have to. It is 100% free gift. Here's my math equation. Believe Jesus plus nothing else and believe Jesus minus nothing else equals salvation. That's it. You know, every covenant, every covenant has a way to connect. 
You know, you can, um, you can do the pinky promise like kids do in school. Um, you can spit in your hands and shake like they did in the Western days, you know, the COVID covenant. And um, you can, you know, um, for your mortgage company, the covenant was you have to sign your life away. You have to sign your name, you know. That's the, that's, and in marriage, marriage, the covenant is vows. You say these words, I promise to do this, and better for worse, death to us part. Do you know the greatest covenant in the universe is the covenant of salvation, and it is the easiest covenant in the universe to connect to. The greatest covenant with the easiest way to connect, you simply believe, and that's it. Um, Billy Graham, the, the wonderful, amazing evangelist, was he saved, yes or no? Yes. How do we know? Well, he served God his whole life, right? He preached the word. He loved people. He was a big giver. Um, by, by the fruit of his life, we would all say, if we had to bet on it, he was saved, correct? Okay, did he do those good things because he was saved, or was he saved because he did those good things? That's the difference between grace and works. Works is you do good to be saved. Grace is because you're saved, you do good. When you're saved, there's something that changes in your heart and these convictions rise up and you have a desire to serve God. But works is I have to do these things in order to be saved. Now, you and I, we see everything in life through the filter of our heart through a lens of either grace or works. The way you relate to God, the way you receive every message on Sunday, the way you see other people, it is always through a lens of either it's a free gift of love or I have to do something and work for it and earn it. It's one or the other. Now, if you're in this room and you're a works-oriented person, somewhere in your heart you feel like the way I get love is by doing good, most likely you had parents who were very overly corrective. If you had a parent that, 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 that it's like you can never do right, it's like you see a parent, they're constantly correcting their kids. Walk this way. Talk, don't look that way. Come on, you hold my hand. You're not doing this right. You didn't eat that way. It's just constant correction, correction, correction. That child grows up and becomes an adult that thinks this, the only way I get love is to do what somebody tells me to do. So they get in these wrong relationships that are abusive relationships because they think, well, I want love so bad, I'll do whatever they tell me. I just want to be loved. They think they have to earn love. And then they want to get in a relationship with God and, they, and, and then when they mess up, because it's all works, when they mess up, God, I don't deserve your love. I'm so horrible. And they stay away from church for three months or three years. And they don't serve God because they made a mistake. And it's all works oriented. But here's the problem with that. First John 4.19 says, he loved us before we ever loved him. Before you ever, ever even thought, I want to be with God. Before you, he already loved you. So if he already loved you before you did anything, why do you think now that you love him, if you mess up, he's not going to love you? Now, you are in charge of how pleased or displeased he is, just like with your parents, but his love is free. Now, then you have people on the other side of the spectrum. They misunderstand grace by thinking this. I can do whatever I want to now that I'm saved. I can live however I want to live, say what I want to say, treat people however I want to treat them because of the grace of God. Well, you might not be saved. The problem with that is their parents never corrected them. And they grew up in a household where you could come home at 2 a.m. It didn't matter. You could have people spend the night in your home. It didn't matter. You could do whatever you wanted to do. Make F's, D's, doesn't matter. Do drugs. Nobody cared. And you think this, there's no consequences. I can do whatever I want to do in life. Man, the problem with that is Hebrews 12, 6 says the Lord corrects his children. 
In verse 8, he says, if he's not correcting you, one translation says you're a bastard. You're illegitimate. You don't belong to him. We, we, we should sit. Grace not only saves us, it gives us this conviction of, God, I'm, you're, you're wanting to change me. You're wanting me to grow. You're wanting me to step out in faith. You're wanting me to live a different life, okay? So let me give you the correct way to see grace. Here's the correct way through the lens you need to see it is this. Every single thing in my life is a gift from God, and I'm so grateful that I want to serve him. In other words, I jump. I don't deserve the children that I have. I did nothing to deserve those great kids. I don't deserve the wife I have. I don't deserve the job I have. I don't deserve the anointing I have. I don't deserve the talent. I don't even deserve my dogs, even when they pee on the floor in the house. I don't even deserve it. I don't deserve living in America. What did I do to earn the gift of living in this country? Nothing. So now that I see every single thing in my life as a gift from God, I'm so grateful this desire rises up. I want to serve you because it's all been a gift. Are you with me? Grace is free, but it wasn't cheap. It cost the blood of Jesus Christ. It was not free. I mean, it was was free, but it, it cost something. It was not cheap by any means. Point number two is this, sustaining grace. Sustaining grace. 1 John 5, 13, I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so you may know you have eternal life. And watch this, so you can continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that keeps you saved. One reason why people get resaved after they mess up Right, you mess up and you mess up again, then you mess up and you stop coming to church and you stop. I need to get resaved. I need to rededicate. The reason is you don't understand sustaining grace. Okay, so let me give you an example of sustaining grace. Um, on an acoustic piano, there are three pedals, and the pedal on the right is called the sustain pedal. I don't know if any of y'all knew that or not. When you see a piano like this one. Um, that just has one pedal, it is also called the sustain pedal, okay? The way it works is this. If I don't press the, the sustain pedal, if my foot is off of the sustain pedal, and I'll put it on strings, when I hit a note, it does this. And then it just stops, right? But when my foot is on the sustain pedal, like it is now, now watch this. I could go all day, but my, so I just pulled my foot off. So listen, the minute you get saved, God not only does this, God puts his foot on the sustain pedal, and for the rest of eternity, <laughs> he just keeps it going and going and going and going and going. That's the sustain. So the same grace that saved you is the same grace that sustained you. So there's two lies that people believe after they get saved, and one is this. I messed up, and so I lost my salvation. Here's the problem with that thinking. You did nothing good to get it, so how can you do anything bad to lose it? You were really bad before you got saved, and he gave it to you. So now you're a little bad, and you think you lost it. It doesn't work like that. Romans 5, 17 says those who were... How many of y'all have made a mistake after you've been saved? You know you have. I've seen y'all's Facebook page. Romans 5, 17, those who receive God's grace in the free gift of righteousness which is right standing with God will reign with Jesus Christ here's a question how could anybody go to hell 
who is in right standing with God. And if all you had to do was receive it and believe it, how could you lose it by doing some bad work? That's not how it works. Uh, works, works. Romans 3.20 says this. And this is a very unusual scripture because it goes from present to, it goes from past to present. Very unusual how it's written. It says, all have sinned. We all agree with that, right? I just asked how many of you have sinned. We've all sinned. But then all of a sudden it shoots to the present tense and says, and we fall short of the glory of God. If I read this to you tomorrow, it would still be true. We fall short. If I read it to you on Tuesday, we fall short. If I read it to you on Wednesday, you see what I mean? No matter what day you read the scripture, it is true. You're falling short of the glory of God. Um, the reason that Jesus is not shocked at this is because he gave his life for this. He knew you were going to sin. In, in fact, a little analogy I use is um, hunters, you know, hunters, hunters hunt, right? We can agree with that. Golfers golf, okay? Sinners, okay, if you sin, you're a sinner saved by grace if you're saved. But you are a sinner. Don't let anybody try to convince you once you're saved, you're not a sinner. You are a sinner. Sinner sin. If you sin, you're a sinner. If you hunt, you're a hunter. If you golf, you're... I actually said this one time. I said, hunters hunt. And I said, golfers. And somebody screamed out, lie. So I don't know how <laughs> that's true. Sinners lie too. But anyway, okay. So um, years ago, I went to Jamaica. I've been to Jamaica maybe three or four times, mission trips and different things. And uh, Jamaica is a very unusual um, island because the roads are so incredibly narrow. And, and when you're riding in a car, and they're on the opposite side of the street too, when you're riding in a car, I don't know why I do this, every time a car passes, I hold my breath and suck in as if the car is going to get narrower. Have you ever been in a country like that and they're driving by, oh, okay, and then I can breathe and got to suck in again, you know, and you kind of lean out of the way of wherever the car is coming because you don't want to get hit. But, 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 and you know, I remember we were at, a, at an intersection where there were like four roads, you know, crossroads, and there were four cars and eight mopeds and no red light and no stop sign, and everybody just knew what to do. I mean, I was praying in tongues in the back seat, but everybody else knew what to do. And do you know that Jamaica rarely has any wrecks? They rarely have any car wrecks. In fact, America has some of the largest and widest roads. And we lead the country, lead the world in car wrecks. Why is that? Here's why. In Jamaica, every single driver expects you to get out of your lane and come into their lane. So they are constantly watching out for every single other person on the road. They're so calm and cool, and they just see, and they just scoot over and go back, and scoot over and go back, honk a little horn, wave, and they're just do, 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 do. But in America, when somebody gets out of their lane, and they come three inches into your lane, you are shocked beyond belief. Do you know what you're doing right now? And you give them the five-second honk, honk. And then you look at them like, you're going to go to hell if you do that again. How could you do that? And then at your, oh, and then all of a sudden you look up and you see a red light in front of you. And you think, oh, no, I hope they're not going to be next to me at the red light. And you're count, counting the cars, trying to see if you need to slow down or speed up. Sure enough, they get right beside you and you quickly pretend like you're putting on makeup or look in the mirror at your phone and like, hope they don't look over. Oh, and then the light turns green and, they, and you see the solid rock sticker on the back of their car and you really feel bad. But anyway, okay, Jesus is not shocked that sinners sin. Amen. He is not shocked when you get out of your lane. 
He already paid the price for every single time you'll get out of your lane. When you believe that, you'll actually run to him when you sin and not run away from him when you sin. The other lie that people believe after they get saved is this. Man, I've been saved for a long time and I'm preaching now and teaching and singing on the worship team and praying for people. I'm a good leader, so I don't need as much grace now as the gay couple over there or the drug addict over there. Man, they need a lot more grace than I do. Okay, the same grace that they need to get saved is the same amount of grace you need to stay saved. We all need the grace of God. In fact, grace doesn't just save you, it teaches you. Titus 2.11 says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared and it teaches us. It hasn't taught you, it is teaching you, it is always teaching you to deny worldly passions. It is always teaching you to live upright and it is always teaching you to live a godly life. The same grace that you started with is the same grace that you need to continue in your relationship with God with, Okay. Point number three is this, finishing grace. Finishing grace. Uh, Galatians 3.23 says, You foolish South Carolinians, you foolish Northerners, you arrogant Northerners, you cussing Northerners. No, I'm just kidding. I said, okay, anyway. Did you receive God's Spirit by doing something good? Did you receive God's Spirit by obeying God? Did you receive God's Spirit by keeping the Ten Commandments? Or did you get saved because you heard that Jesus died and rose again and he died for your sins and you believed it? You heard the gospel and you believed it. How could you be so stupid? <laughs> I love saying this scripture to people. This is my favorite scripture. Um, no, it's not. But anyway, you began, by God, you began by God's Spirit. Now you're trying to finish in your own strength? You knew the day you got saved you needed God so much, but now you think you don't need him as much? Are you stupid? Are you, have you, uh, there's our southern term for the same thing. Bless your heart. <laughs> when you really want to let somebody have it, that's what you say. Bless your heart. You thought you could earn salvation after you got saved? Listen, you could not earn it and you didn't deserve it the day you got saved. You can't earn it after 200 years of serving God, and you won't deserve it after 2 million years in heaven. You still won't deserve the grace of God. I love how Paul the Apostle, he started and he ended. Every single book of the Bible he wrote with grace. Started and ended every letter to every church. Romans 1.5, through him we receive grace. Romans 16.20, may the grace of Jesus be with you. 1 Corinthians 1.3, may God give you grace. 1 Corinthians 16.23, may the grace of our Lord be with you. 2 Corinthians 1.2, may the Lord Jesus give you grace. 2 Corinthians 13.14, may the grace of our Lord be with you all. Galatians 1.3, may God give you grace. Galatians 6.18, may the grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Ephesians 1.2, may the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Ephesians 6.24, may God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord. Philippians 1-2, may our Father give you grace. Philippians 4-23, may the grace of Jesus be with your spirit. 1 Thessalonians 1-1, may God give you grace. 1 Thessalonians 5-28, may the grace of Jesus be with you. 2 Thessalonians 1-2, may the Lord Jesus give you grace. 2 Thessalonians 3-18, may the grace of our Lord be with you all. 1 Timothy 1-2, may Jesus give you grace, mercy, and peace. 1 Timothy 6-21, may God's grace be with you. 2 Timothy 1-2, may Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. 2 Timothy 4-22, and may his grace be with all of you. Titus 1-4, may Christ Jesus our Savior give you grace. 
grace and peace. Titus 3.15, may God's grace be with all you believers. Philemon 1.3, may God our Father give you grace. Philemon 1.25, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. It starts with grace and it ends with grace. Philippians 1.6 says this, I'm confident of this. He who began, he who started, he who tried to reach your heart every single day since you breathed oxygen until the day you finally received the gift, he who started that work in you will continue because you're saved, buddy. You're saved until his grace is, he'll continue in grace until it's completely finished. Until it's, when you see Jesus face to face, you'll finally realize I can't do anything without the grace of God in my life. So I want to give you two stories and then I'll close. They're both true stories on a picture of grace. Okay, two stories on a picture of grace. The first is some friends of mine, and there's some pictures that they're kind of fuzzy, but you can see the husband and wife on the top right, and they have six children, and they have many, many grandchildren. Uh, here's another picture of them. Um, they're millionaires, multimillionaires, and one day, just out of the blue, my friend bought his wife, himself, and all six kids Ducati motorcycles. Uh, they live out in California, Hughes Mansion. Uh, next picture, there's a picture of them with the grandkids and all the kids. Next picture, and that's the family years ago. Is that the last one there? And so... Um, my friend, I'm not going to tell you his name because of some personal things I'm about to share. It's not fully public, but they live in California. None of you know them. Um, I've known them since when I was born. They knew me when I was a baby. Um, multimillionaires. He invented the hologram uh, many, many years ago. A very, very intelligent scientist, born-again believer. Every time he spoke at any church, he taught on the book of Revelation. Um, he, um, he's, he's, he's funded missions and pastors and churches all over the world with millions and millions and millions of dollars. Um, he was friends with a lot of the famous people in Hollywood who were believers, uh, one of which was uh, Donna Douglas, Ellie Mae Clampett from the Beverly Hillbillies. And I had the privilege of going to their house in California and riding horses with Ellie Mae Clampett with Beverly Hillbillies and um, hung out with the family. And their, their guest home on their property is they have own like 100 acres. There's you know, orange trees and there's uh, uh, vineyards. They have a farm. They have a mansion. The guest home was bigger than any house I've ever seen in Myrtle Beach. I mean, they are just loaded, 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 love to give, love Jesus with all their heart. And uh, my friend, the, the, the father, and I was friends with the kids as well, but the father, he passed away last year, uh, started with COVID and got something a little more serious. Um, but wonderful family. They've been married, husband and wife, for more than 50 years. Very successful marriage, best friends. They served God in their church like you would not. I mean, just the most humble. You would never know he was a multi-multi-millionaire by talking to him or hanging out with him. The most down-to-earth guy loved everybody. If you were to go to his wife and say, um, my friend, he, he was born in the 30s, and he and his wife, I think they met in the 50s or 60s. And you say, um, tell me how you and your wife met. He'd say, why don't you ask her? And go to her, she'd say, well, you know, we, we met in California. Tell me the details. Ah, you don't really want to know the details. Yes, I want to know the Tell me how y'all met. So my friend, the father, he was driving down one of the main roads there in Hollywood, saved, born-again believer, and God speaks to him at a red light and says, you see that woman over there in the street, that prostitute? I want you to witness to her. Tell her how easy it is to be saved. He said, God, I'm a, I'm a very prominent businessman around here. People know my car. They know me. I can't. He said, if you don't tell her, who's going to tell her? So he gets out of his car, parks the car, and as he's walking to her, God then spoke to him and said, and she's going to be your wife. 
So he goes over to her and he tells her about Jesus, how easy it is to be saved. She gives her heart to the Lord right then and there. And then he looks at her and says, you want to get married? She said, well, let's go on a date first, you know. They go on, I think, two or three dates. They get married a few weeks later. Have the most successful marriage you could imagine. I mean, serve God with their whole heart. But when you ask her the details of her life, she'll say this, I didn't deserve it. I was on the street selling myself. I was practically homeless. And this man walks up to me and offers me all of this. She'll say, the six kids, I don't deserve them. The grandkids, the life I've lived. She'll say, I was so grateful that he changed my life and brought me this godly man who served me and took care of me. I'm so grateful I have the desire to serve him every single day for the rest of my life. And you can use the husband or God in that analogy. She had the desire to serve them both. She didn't deserve it, but grace walked up to her one day and forever changed her life. True story. <clears throat> the second story, I want to read you a scripture first. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. It says, once you're saved, you need to realize this. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. <clears throat> you receive from God, not from your own works. But listen, you don't belong to you anymore. You're not yours. You don't belong. You used to belong to you. Now you belong to someone else. In fact, you were bought at the highest price that any person has ever paid for something. You were bought with the life of the Son of God. That's the highest price anyone's paid for anything, and that was paid for you. Therefore, honor God. That word bought there, even though it's in Greek, is the exact same word in Hebrew as the word redeem. You know, like you go to the, you know, the, the arcade with your kids and you get the tickets and you redeem a prize. You, were bought, you bought, right? You buy it. <clears throat> it's the same word redeem that you see all through the book of Hosea, which is my favorite picture of grace. So Hosea is a prophet of God and he's walking through the streets one day of his city and there's a prostitute over on the side of the road and God says, Hosea, you go to that woman and you make her your wife. I was like, really, God? That's who you want me to marry? That's who I want you to marry. So he goes over to her, witnesses to her, becomes her husband, takes her out of prostitution. They have a family together. Everything's going great. He thinks that she's happy. True story is in the Bible. He thinks that everything's going well. And then one day, for some crazy reason, she decides to leave her family and go back into prostitution. And this time, she just doesn't become a regular prostitute. This time, she actually becomes a sex slave where she's beaten and tormented on a regular basis for money. Hosea's heart's broken. He can't believe after offering her this life and showing her how great things could be that she would go in a different direction. Time passes by. <clears throat> Hosea's walking through the marketplace one day again. Just like before, he sees this woman. His ex-wife. This time she's up on a, on a platform and men are bidding the lowest amounts possible for her. There's bruises all over, blood, she's battered, she's disgusting, used and abused by everybody in town. The men are using amounts like 25, I'll give you 50 cent. Do I hear 65 cents, 75 cent? And Hosea just shakes his head. I can't believe this is what happened. And God says, Hosea, go buy her again. 
Buy her again after what she did? Buy her again. So he thinks, okay, it's only going to cost me a dollar. And then God says, spend everything you have to buy her again. So to modernize it, Hosea pulls out his iPhone and he transfers his funds and he sells his Bitcoin, does everything he can, refinances his home. And then he screams out this absurd amount. $250,000, whatever it was. And the whole crowd of men, there's just a hush. And the woman hears a voice she had not heard in a long time. The crowd parts in my mind. It parts just like the Red Sea. And Hosea comes walking through. And he gets to the platform. He says, baby, you want to come back home? She can't believe the offer's still on the table. She said, I thought you'd never ask. He picks her up. And he carries her back home. And they live happily together forever and ever and ever. Okay, that's a picture of grace. Now, some of you prideful Christians think that you're the husband in the story. No, 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 no. You're the prostitute. And God told Hosea, what, I, what you just did, I want you to tell my people that's what I did for them. They turned their back on me, and I spent everything I have to give them the opportunity to come back home. So let me encourage you, come back home. <laughs> the price has been paid. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You can't deserve it. Come back home. Why would you want to stay out there if you really believed that he spent everything he had after everything we've done? Why would you not want to come home? God's not mad at you. God's madly in love with you. 